MSW Media. News with swearing. Daily beans, daily beans. Daily beans, daily beans. Hello and welcome to the Daily Beans for Tuesday, May 26, 2020. Today, multiple voting rights victories. Trump threatens to move the Republican National Convention from North Carolina. The White House rolls out a testing plan that doesn't include itself. A top advisor to Boris Johnson fends off calls to resign. New York will pay death benefits to those fighting coronavirus. The U.S. blocks travelers from Brazil. The RNC is suing California to stop vote by mail. And new Rasmussen polling is out. And it's not what you think. I'm your host, A.G. Hey, everybody. It is AG. Jordan is going to send in her A block and she's going to give you the update on coronavirus. I'm going to be joined later by Amanda Reeder to go over the good news and the quarantine confessions. And uh, yes, you heard right. We are doing we have had such an overwhelming uh, response to quarantine confessions. We're doing a spinoff show. It's going to be once a week. It's going to come out on Saturdays. So you have a weekend show to enjoy. And it's going to be your quarantine confessions, which you can now send in on our website, uh, thedailybeanspod.com or mullersherote.com, same website. And uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be awesome. And, and I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to premiere June 6th. So look for that in its own feed. We'll send you the information as soon as we have it. And we appreciate all of your quarantine confessions. But we do have some for today as well. We have so many of them. <laughs> They're so good. You guys are the best. And it's, I think, just really important to have that fun and uh, uplifting view uh, to, you know, to just sort of help us skate on top of this immense tragedy. I want to wish everybody a safe Memorial Day. Uh, it is, we record, you know, the day before we put these shows out, unless you're a patron, you get it the same day. Uh, but, you know, it today is Memorial Day. Um, it's uh, very quiet here uh, where I'm recording and... I appreciate that, and uh, I hope that uh, in a month or so we don't see a spike in cases. Uh, we also have our Friday uh, happy hour meet and greet, and the first hour is for patrons only. We can have some a uh, couple of you come on and ask questions. We just do a Q&A, and it can be politics. It can be fun. Um, we do a lot of fuck, Mary kill on that, on that, uh, on that happy hour uh, live stream. Uh, you can see our faces, you know, send, you know, air, air play us up to your television if you feel like you need to see us that big. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we have a theme this week. What is our theme this week? Oh, masquerade. Show us your masks. We want to see. And uh, if you're making any or if it's been made for you, we want to know the stories behind it. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. It's Friday at four Pacific time. And uh, we appreciate you joining us for that. Uh, aside from that, we do have a ton of news to get to today, despite it being a holiday. It's a very busy news day. There's a lot going on. And uh, right now, I'm going to hand it over to Jordan for the Hot Notes. Hot Notes. Hello. Welcome to Jordan's Corn Beans. I hope everyone is having a good day. I've got a few stories for you today. First one is coming out of the Trump administration. They released a new testing strategy to Congress on Sunday, and you know how there's been kind of this whole tit-for-tat between federal and state authority? You know, for, for a little bit there, Trump was trying to say he had ultimate authority on when people open up and 
kind of just cherry picking things that he wanted to be responsible for and things that he didn't want to be responsible for. And I guess you could say that's how government goes in general, but it's just particularly annoying when it's coming from Trump because now he has landed on it being the individual state's responsibilities for planning and carrying out all COVID-19 testing. Uh, Apparently, the government is going to provide some supplies needed for the tests, but all in all, the responsibility pretty much completely falls on the states. And this is uh, after they're also making the assessment that if the current testing capacity is properly targeted, they believe that it's sufficient enough to contain the outbreak. Um, But so many epidemiologists and experts right now are saying that the amount of testing is still so much lower than what the country needs right now. So this is a very, uh, it's a frustrating announcement, um, mostly because, I mean, you think about the sort of like international supply chains that are involved with really any sort of point throughout this response to COVID-19, whether it be PPE or the testing, and it's just constantly been a battle between, you know, it's like any time the federal government, Trump, has tried to get involved, it's been it's been all fucky, and states have had to, like, fend for themselves, and the government, federally, hasn't really been stepping up in the ways, definitely has not been stepping up in the ways that they needed to, to make the states, maybe, you know, procuring PPE, for example, smooth and efficient no instead we got into a fucking bidding war between the states and fema it's just been horrendously mismanaged and and so now he's just saying you know what states you guys you're just responsible for everything um we'll help you out in the ways that we can you know but not a lot of promises there which when you're dealing with international supply chains like that it's it's really hard you know it's 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 like i i imagine I've never procured on behalf of a state government, but but yeah, I just imagine it's in, it's there are certain relationships and connections that would just be better facilitated at a federal level at certain points in the supply chain. And with this announcement, it seems the 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 vibe I'm getting is ultimately, you know, Trump just kind of doesn't doesn't want it to be on his shoulders. He wants the states to be responsible for for all of that. Uh, let us know. Let us know if any of you think that that's a good idea or a bad idea. Tweet at us. I'm sure I know what most of you are thinking, but on the off chance anyone has different opinions, uh, we would we'd love or just yeah or the same opinions. Just we'd love to we'd love to hear them. So this is going to be an ongoing theme. I think moving forward is how much responsibility is the federal government supposed to have and how much are the states supposed to have. And it's a classic, you know, here you go, never mind sort of situation with Trump in terms of wanting all the power and then not wanting to be responsible for anything. So classic Trump shit there. So that's cool. Scott Becker, he's the executive director of the Association of Public Health. Labo- <laughs> I was just going to say laboratories. Laboratories. Does anyone say laboratories other than an evil man petting a hairless cat? I don't think so. I think it is always laboratories. He said, for months, it was a tennis game. It was going back and forth between the feds and the states, and it's now landed with 
the states. Uh, he also said that it's reasonable to expect states to carry out some aspects of testing, like designating sites, for example, but getting the tests themselves is something that you just really need federal help with. So that's that story. Uh, next story I have for you all. On Sunday, the U.S. added Brazil to the list of countries that travels banned from uh, and with. So China and then, you know, members of the EU were previously on that list as well. And this is pretty much a direct result of Brazil's COVID-19 cases just massively increasing. They right now are second behind the United States uh, in terms of how big their outbreak is. They have more than 350,000 infections and more than 22,500 deaths. So they just are having a really, really tough time right now. We were just talking yesterday about what may have happened, what what definitely happened with at least some people when they shut down travel to and from Europe. You know, this sort of dynamic that came up of people freaking out, rightfully so, and being like, ah, shit, well, then I got to get home right now before everything closes up, even if they were sick. So I don't know if that's going to be something that we're going to see again with Brazil. If it is, then... That fucking, that's just really going to suck because, I, I mean, they're second behind us right now, which means they've got, you know, th- the reason why they're trying to shut it down is because of all the cases that are there. So if the the thing happens that we were talking about yesterday where people sort of, you know, panic again for good reason, that makes sense, and, and they try to come home, but they're still sick and they wind up bringing a bunch of cases here. I just really hope that it doesn't result in any sort of spikes anywhere or just doesn't wind up costing more lives basically instead of what the intention is i think everyone can agree the intention of closing travel is to save lives so hopefully that's what it does but wary of that being uh the outcome in some cases but that's a huge uh sad development for brazil and our hearts go out to them my final story is coming out of New York. So New York is doing something, state and local governments in New York, they're beginning to provide death benefits to the families of essential workers who died on the front line of COVID-19. Cuomo announced this today, Monday, and basically public public employees whose families uh, would receive these benefits include health workers, police officers, firefighters, transit workers, and emergency medical workers, and those benefits are going to be coming out of the state and local pension funds. Cuomo said, we want to make sure that we remember them and we thank our heroes today, and they're all around us. So Cuomo is giving our frontline workers uh, the designation and respect of people who have died on the front lines, and we're remembering all those people today on Memorial Day if you're listening on Monday. Um, City of New York isn't the only group that's doing it. Uh, The Metropolitan Transportation Authority is doing it as well. They run the subway and buses in New York. They're giving death benefits to the families of virus victims. And uh, last week, Bill de Blasio said that uh, that he is urging new york to provide those line of duty death benefits for the families and then some lawmakers in new jersey are also urging them to take the same action so hopefully this is a trend that continues new york announced 96 new deaths related to covid19 and this is only 
the second time that New York state death toll has fallen below 100 since late March. So positivity and it's going down still, obviously the loss of life is tragic and New York has a very, very, very long way to go in terms of rebuilding, but it's good to hear those numbers are down consistently and continue to go down and stay down, hopefully. Everybody, that's all I got for you. I hope that you are having a good day, and to those of you who have lost people or are remembering people today, my heart goes out to you, and my heart goes out to the people who have put their lives on the line and continue to put their lives on the line for the people of this country. Thank you. Have a good night, morning, day, wherever you're at. Sending y'all love. Thanks. Bye. All right. Thank you very much, Jordan, for those updates. I appreciate it. Uh, Everybody, stick around. Right after this break, we have headlines from Under the Radar. You don't want to miss. Stay with us. After these messages, we'll be right back. Hey, everybody, it's AG. If you've been listening to The Daily Beans for a while, you've heard me talk about my Helix mattress and how amazing it is. So, exciting news. Helix has gone beyond the bedroom and started making sofas. They just launched a new company called Allform, and they're making premium customizable sofas and chairs shipped right to your door. And what makes Allform so cool is they make it easy to customize a sofa using premium materials at a fraction of the cost of traditional stores. You can pick your fabric, and that fabric, by the way, is spill, stain, and scratch resistant. You can pick the color, the color of the legs, the sofa size, and the shape to make sure it's perfect for you and your home. They've got armchairs and love seats all the way up to an eight-seat sectional. So there's something for everyone. And you can always start small and build onto it. Buy more seats later if you want more. And uh, it can grow and change with you when you move. All-form sofas are also delivered directly to your home with fast, free shipping. In the past, if you wanted to order a sofa, you'd have to go to the store, order it, customize. It would take weeks or even months to arrive, and you would need someone to come assemble it in your home or move it for you. But All-form takes just three to seven days to arrive in the mail, and you can assemble it yourself in a few minutes. No tools needed. Uh, I customized my All-form three-seater sofa with a beautiful whiskey-colored leather, plus a chaise lounge with walnut legs. And it's gorgeous, uh, modern, roomy, very comfortable. Uh, I can't wait to have people over to see it. It's going to be a while, but I'm excited about it. If getting a sofa without trying it in-store sounds a little risky, no need to worry. You get 100 days to decide if you want to keep it. That is more than three months. And if you don't love it, they'll pick it up for free and give you a full refund. They also have a forever warranty, literally forever. So to find your perfect sofa, check out allform.com slash dailybeans. And Allform is offering 20% off all orders for our listeners. That's allform.com slash dailybeans, A-L-L-F-O. O-R-M.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. Here is some news from under the radar. Today, a federal judge has gutted a Florida state law requiring felons to pay all court fines and fees before they can register to vote. And that clears the way for thousands and thousands of Floridians to register in time for the November presidential election. Republican lawmakers and Governor Ron DeSantis, who is also a Republican, as you know, pushed the measure after Florida voters overwhelmingly approved a constitutional amendment in 2018 to expand voting rights to felons who have completed all terms of their sentence, including probation and parole. The the law's backers said it was necessary to clarify the amendment, while critics said Republicans were trying to limit the effects of what would have been the largest expansion of the state's electorate since poll taxes and literacy tests were outlawed during the civil rights era. The law critics said, had made it virtually impossible for most felons to register, either because of an inability to pay 
uh, their fines and restitution or because the state offered no way for them to know what they owed or whether they had already paid. So not just paying if you don't have the money, but finding out if you owe something was very, very difficult. U.S. District Judge Robert L. Hinkle agreed, likening the restrictive legislation to a poll tax, and concluded that the state had not created a system that would allow felons to identify their financial obligations. Quote, the 24th Amendment precludes Florida from conditioning voting in federal election on payments of these fees and costs. Um, This was part of his ruling. Uh, Hinkle, by the way, was appointed uh, by President Bill Clinton, and he was referring to the constitutional amendment that bans poll taxes. Uh, Hinkle did not find, however, that the law intentionally discriminated on the basis of race, as the plaintiffs had argued, because of the disproportionate number of African-Americans among the state's uh, population of felons. I disagree with that finding, but whatever. Hinkle's order requires the state to tell felons whether they are eligible to vote and what they owe. It also requires the state to follow any felon to register um, to allow, excuse me, to allow any felon to register if they're not given an answer within 21 days. Uh, No one will face perjury charges for registering and voting through this process, he ordered. That's what they were facing before. Uh, Desmond Mead, the executive director of the Florida Rights Restoration Coalition, said, quote, this court decision adds another remarkable chapter in our fight as returning citizens to participate in our democracy. We will remain vigilant in our commitment to place people over politics and ensure that all returning citizens, no matter how they may vote, have an opportunity to possess what we believe to be the most endearing sign of citizenship, the right to vote. And Julie Ebenstein, uh, a senior staff attorney with the American Civil Liberties Union, who litigated the case, she said, quote, The court recognized that conditioning a person's right to vote on their ability to pay is unconstitutional. This ruling means hundreds of thousands of Floridians will be able to rejoin the electorate and participate in upcoming elections. This is a tremendous victory for voting rights. Uh, Amendment 4 passed with 65 percent of the vote. Uh, in November 2018. That was the one that allowed felons to vote. uh, And that attracted support from across the political spectrum, including from the ACLU, the League of Women Voters, um, the groups backed by the Libertarian Koch Network and the Christian Coalition. The ballot measures excluded those convicted of murder or sexual offenses. The nonprofit Florida Rights Restoration Coalition estimated that as many as 1.5 million felons previously barred from voting would be able to do so in this crucial battleground state. 1.5 1.5 million. But the, those hopes fizzled uh, over the last two years due to this bill passed that required that fines, fees, and, and restitutions be paid first. And only 50,000 were able to register. Most people couldn't find out if they owed anything, what they owed, how to pay it. It was just it was a huge debacle. It really limited access to voting. And um, so I, I really think that this is a huge win. Um, I, I wish it could have gone further. Um, but Hopefully, this won't be appealed. Hopefully, this will, you know, people could start registering now uh, for the November election. Uh, And from the Post and Courier in South Carolina, another big win. The United States District Court has handed down an order that allows South Carolinians to vote absentee by mail in the June 2020 primary. um, And they don't have to have a witness signature on the ballot return envelope. Uh, Voters will be required to sign and date the voter's oath on the return envelope, but the signature of witness and address of witness space can be left blank. Election officials will accept and count all absentee ballots, regardless of whether the envelope contains a witness signature, if otherwise valid. Uh, Any ballots that may have already been returned without witness signatures will also be counted, if otherwise valid. And that's according to the press release. Uh, Election officials have said voters are still required to sign and date the voter's oath on the return envelope, 
and they said 72,000 absentee ballots have been mailed out since Governor McMaster signed the legislation that allowed any South Carolina voter to vote absentee for the June primaries and runoffs. So that's another thing they were requiring if you were going to vote absentee that you had a witness with you. So they uh, deemed that unconstitutional as well. And from Politico today, President Donald Trump on Monday morning threatened to move August's Republican National Convention out of North Carolina unless they can pack the stadium. They want to fill it shoulder to shoulder. Uh, Trump tweeted, I love the great state of North Carolina so much that I insisted on having the Republican National Convention in Charlotte at the end of August. Unfortunately, Democratic Governor Roy Cooper is still in shutdown mode, mood, He put mood and unable to guarantee that by August we will be allowed full attendance in the arena. Uh, And that was the first of a string of four tweets. He went on to say, in other words, we would be spending millions of dollars building an arena to a very high standard without even knowing if the Democrat governor would allow the Republican Party to fully occupy the space. Um... Uh, In case voters in in North Carolina might take offense, Trump twice indicated his love for the state and its people. Recent polls, people, uh, recent polls have shown Trump and presumptive Democratic nominee Joe Biden in a pretty neck-and-neck battle for those 15 electoral votes. Um, The RNC was scheduled, is scheduled, to be held in Charlotte on August 24th through 27th, less than a week after Democrats are set to wrap up their rescheduled convention in Milwaukee. Uh, In a statement, Governor Cooper said North Carolina was cooperating with the RNC. Quote, state health officials are working with RNC and will review its plans as they make decisions on how to hold the convention in Charlotte. North Carolina is relying on data and science to protect our state's public health and safety. Uh, Trump's tweets amounted to a threat, according to Politico. The GOP convention is expected to draw tens of millions of dollars to North Carolina's economy, which has been devastated by coronavirus. And Governor Cooper is facing re-election this fall, and his handling of the pandemic and his ability to bolster the state's economy is likely to be a key issue. Uh, Monday morning's tweets fit with the president's trends of attacking state governors that are Democrats via Twitter over restrictions in those states and requests for federal assistance. Prominent targets in recent weeks have included Gretchen Whitmer in Michigan and Illinois Governor J.B. Pritzker. Republicans say they still have time to decide how to proceed. The site build-out for the Charlotte event isn't slated to begin until mid-July. And uh, appearing on Fox News later today, later this morning, Vice President Mike Pence listed several states the convention could be moved to, including Texas, Georgia, and Florida. Uh, Those three states all have Republican governors, which, you know, fine. You want to have your convention in in a state run by Republicans. I don't have a problem with that. It's the threatening, it's the economic threat that I think is the issue, is what's at issue here, and the health threat. And we know when Trump has rallies, he doesn't pay his bills. And this is just one giant rally, let's be honest. And of course, um, a lot of people were tweeting uh, on the left that he, you know, he's been planning this all along. He wants to have it at Doral. He wants to make money off of this event. He tweeted out saying, wrong, wrong. Left-wing media, I never wanted that. But we'll see where it ends up. Uh, let's see. He said, let's see, Pence actually went on to say, we all want to be in Charlotte. We love North Carolina. But having a sense now is absolutely essential because of the immense preparations that are involved. And we look forward to working with Governor Cooper, uh, getting a swift response. And if I need to be moving the National Convention to a state that is farther along on reopening and can say with confidence that we can gather there. 
I guess he didn't finish that sentence. And uh, these tweets come a day after residents of North Carolina defied Cooper's restrictions to watch auto racing in Alamance County. Uh, Press reports indicated approximately 4,000 people were in attendance. The governor has been permitting a gradual reopening, but gatherings were supposed to be restricted to 10 people indoors or 25 outdoors. There were 4,000. And Mecklenburg County, which encompasses Charlotte, has emerged as a hotspot for the virus. The area has been reporting a growing number of cases. And uh, finally... The Republican National Committee, along with other Republican groups, are suing California to stop us from uh, mailing absentee ballots to all voters ahead of the 2020 general election. The suit is in response to Governor Gavin Newsom announcing that the state would move to encourage all voters to cast ballots by mail in November. The biggest, this is the biggest single expansion of vote by mail that has been announced uh, amid the coronavirus outbreak because, you know, uh, California is the nation's most populous state. And Ronda McDaniel Romney said on behalf of the RNC, quote, Democrats continue to use the pandemic as a ploy to implement their partisan agenda. And Governor Newsom's executive order is the latest direct assault on the integrity of our elections. I think what she means is that because of a deadly virus, we are optimizing a system we already have in place to ensure people are able to vote safely. People having access to the ballot is considered a partisan assault on elections to Republicans because, obviously, the more people who are able to vote, the shittier Republicans do because they've relied on voter suppression, shitty voter ID laws, and gerrymandering for so long, it's the only way they can win. Plus, nobody likes them. (laughs) And she also referred to allowing more people to vote as a power grab. Imagine that, grabbing power by counting votes. What a fucking novel concept. Romney. And on Sunday morning, Trump tweeted another attack on vote by mail, which included several claims without evidence that he also appears to be paving the way to consent or excuse me, to contest the November election if he loses, saying the U.S. cannot have all mail in ballots. It would be the greatest rigged election in history. He did this in 2016, too. Of course, the RNC is accusing Democrats of using the pandemic because that's what Trump is doing. They accuse others of that which you are guilty. He's using coronavirus to cry rigged elections so he can fight the results when he loses in November. And on tomorrow's Daily Beans, I'll be speaking with Joshua Geltzer, who has written an op piece, uh, you know, an opinion piece for CNN called What If Trump Refuses to Accept Defeat in 2020? And Geltzer is a visiting law professor at Georgetown. He's a former senior director for counterterrorism and deputy legal advisor at the NSC. You don't want to miss that interview. So check that out. Uh, Trump also tweeted, people grab them from the mailboxes, print thousands of forgeries, and force people to sign. Also forge names. Some absentee okay when necessary. Trying to use COVID for this scam. He is trying to use COVID to call rigged election to fight the results. He's going to lose if we all show up to vote. And numbers too big to manipulate. He also said um, that... I'm. <laughs> I'm not going to read any more of his tweets, but it appears he he wants to reopen and pretend like COVID doesn't exist. And it seems like this wasn't only, you know, this whole reopening, I in my initial thought was he just wants the, to prop the economy up because that's the only thing he can run on. If his economy fails, he's fucked. And but now it seems as though making it making COVID not dangerous, making it safe appears to be a ploy to justify uh, saying that we don't have to vote absentee. And then he can use that to call the election fixed 
I think this could have been the goal all along, if you think about it. Of course, there's no evidence of any of this voter fraud. In fact, a 17-month investigation in Florida, as we talked about yesterday, just concluded no fraud found in the midterm elections. But get this. The lawsuit filed by Republicans claims that Gavin Newsom's order violates eligible citizens' right to vote. They say his order will lead to fraud because the state plans to mail ballots to inactive voters automatically, inviting fraud and theft and thereby violating eligible citizens' rights. Even though these can be audited and hand-counted. Press Secretary for Newsom responded saying, quote, California will continue to defend Californians' rights to vote, including their right to vote by mail and the right to hold an election that is safe, secure, and accessible. Accessible is the key word there. Voters should not have to choose between their health and their right to vote. I don't know why this is hard for Republicans to grasp. This lawsuit, mind you, is part of a larger $20 million effort to combat vote by mail launched by Rana McDaniel Romney and the RNC nationwide. By the way, uh, new polling is out from Rasmussen. That's the extremely conservative poll. Uh, Trump, uh, Trump's approval rating falls five net points to 43. 55 disapprove. That's a 12-point deficit. That's bananas. Today is his worst approval index. Um, people who strongly approve minus people who strongly disapprove. That's the approval index. And, and his strongly approve is at 31, and his strongly disapprove is at 47. That's negative 16. He hasn't had that since January 2019. It's bad. Uh, all right, we'll be right back with Edward Hardy of the Hardy Report podcast. We're going to find out what's going on with Dominic Cummings, so stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and this tasty helping of the Daily Beans is brought to you by Magic Spoon. Oh, my God, best stuff I've ever put in my mouth. Growing up, cereal was one of the best parts of being a kid. As an adult, I've had to give it up because of the carbs and the sugar uh, and chemicals and junk and preservatives that I just don't want to eat anymore. But I have found Magic Spoon, and it is so delicious. Uh, It's so good, but no sugar, no carbs, no guilt. Magic Spoon brings me right back to the feeling of being a kid, watching Saturday morning cartoons and drinking cereal milk when I was done. I put a little bit of milk in there. I like it crunchy. I don't like to drown my cereal. But Saturday morning cartoons, yeah, after these messages, we'll be right back. And it, this is, it's, it's so good. And it's healthy. Forbes magazine says, with the cereal that tastes this good and offers so much nutritional value, Magic Spoon may be the future of breakfast. Magic Spoon cereals amazingly have zero sugar, 12 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. With four delicious flavors, cocoa, fruity, frosted, and blueberry. Uh, Magic Spoon tastes incredible. Too good to be true. But it's keto-friendly, it's gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. My favorite flavor right now is blueberry. It's so delicious, and the milk after is mm, chef's kiss. Mwah. Go to magicspoon.com slash dailybeans to grab a variety pack and try it today. Be sure to use promo code dailybeans at checkout as well to get free shipping. Magic Spoon is so confident in their product, it has a 100% happiness guarantee. If you do not like it for any reason, they will refund your money. No questions asked. That's magicspoon.com slash dailybeans and use code dailybeans for free shipping. All right, everybody, welcome back. Joining me today to discuss the goings-on with Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings is host of the Hardy Report podcast and U.S.-U.K. political commentator Edward Hardy. Edward, welcome back. Thank you for having me back. It is great to talk to you again. There's something about your voice that is incredibly soothing, and you also have a great knowledge of what I'm about to ask you about, so it was a perfect fit. Oh, very kind of you. I think it's the British accent. It's something about it that makes people feel at ease. (laughs) Yes, it's like this person's very smart and very soothing. Um, 
Uh, all right. So, you know, when, when we listen to this all day, when this is what we hear all day, it's just, it's really nice to hear <laughs> something a little different. Um, so it's an ongoing saga. Uh, it's been in our news here in the U.S. Uh, for a couple of days. Now, since, you know, spanning back to last week, who is Dominic Cummings and what did he do? So Dominic Cummings is the senior, his official title is senior advisor to the prime minister, but he's the chief advisor, the top advisor to Boris Johnson, prime minister Boris Johnson. And he's essentially seen as the puppet master pulling the strings of Boris Johnson and his government controlling everything and everyone within it and deciding the direction. So he's an incredibly, incredibly powerful person. And does that position usually do that? Or is so is this like your vice president and sometimes they're passive and other times they're like Dick Cheney? Is that sort of? It's sort of like that. He's not supposed to have anywhere near this level of power. He's supposed to advise and guide and have some knowledge of what's going on and events and offer his take on, on how the prime minister should act. But he's not supposed to control the prime minister. And a lot of people see Dominic Cummings as being this controlling figure because essentially the reason he's so close to Boris Johnson in particular is for those that aren't familiar with Dominic Cummings, he ran the uh, Vote Leave campaign, which resulted in Brexit happening in the UK and propelling Boris Johnson from at the time just a backbench MP who'd been mayor of London to the figure in British politics, essentially the next prime minister in line, and then ultimately helped him become prime minister and then win a majority, a significant majority in the last UK election. So he's a really powerful ally to Boris Johnson. And without Dominic Cummings, Boris Johnson would not be where he is today. So that's how close he is and how much influence he has in this sphere. And, and that's really important to this story for people to know why it's such a big deal, what's been going on with him. OK, so it's sort of like one of those symbiotic relationships with the bird on the rhino and they help each other out. And, and now they're now they're king of the jungle together. Um, so what did he do? He's been in the news. And can you explain uh, what's going on with your lockdown, what he did to violate it, and, and how everybody's reacted to it? Yes. So in the UK, we're one of the, as the figures show, one of the most uh, hit countries by this coronavirus pandemic. And it's really tragic, the situation here with the the top uh top of the countries when it comes to total number of cases and we've had over 36,000 deaths from coronavirus so it's really hit this country and, and one of the ways that the government has acted to attempt to combat this pandemic is by having not a full lockdown but it's been seen as this sort of flexible lockdown structure so they never imposed it fully by, by law. They offered guidance, they offered rules, and the police were able to enforce it with fines um, to encourage people to stay at home rather than go to uh, go outside, engage with people, interact with people. So it was made most famous by the government slogan, stay at home, protect the NHS, save lives, was the slogan that the government cemented this lockdown strategy with and 
the whole premise of it was that unless you had to go to work, you couldn't work from home, you needed medical treatment or you had to get food, uh, supplies and so on, you weren't supposed to leave your home. And that's what the government's been telling everyone since the very beginning of this lockdown. Dominic Cummings, as chief advisor to the prime minister, uh, found out that his wife had coronavirus symptoms. She hadn't been tested for it and it wasn't confirmed, but she had the symptoms. And Dominic Cummings and his wife uh, decided that the best thing to do, in their opinion, was to go up to live in a, a building, not the same building as a, a second building on the property, uh, as their as Dominic Cummings' parents in County Durham. So that's about 260 miles away. And he claims he did that because he was concerned that he and his wife would become ill, unable to look after their child. They needed to be near family. And a lot of people might listen to, to that and say, well, that's completely understandable. But that is actually against the rules that the lockdown imposed and what everyone else was being told. And the reason everyone's so angry at this and believes he should have to resign for this or be fired is because when these lockdown rules were put in place, everyone knew it would be a sacrifice. It'd be a really difficult situation for people in the UK to cope with. You were limited on the number of people who could attend funerals. People were prevented from spending the last moments of their loved ones' lives because they couldn't go near them for fear of contracting coronavirus. So people were stripped of those moments that they can never, ever get back now. They were forced to battle, single parents were forced to battle to look after their children while severely ill because they had to stay at home. And all this time, the prime minister's chief advisor has been going to stay with his family because he believes that was within the rules that were laid out. That wasn't what everyone else was told. That wasn't the rules that everyone else was given. And because of this, People now feel that essentially one of two things has happened. Either the government has been giving one set of rules for their staff and one for the rest of us, or Dominic Cummings is claiming that all these loopholes existed that allowed people to, to break the rules for what he describes as exceptional circumstances, which means all these people, he believes he is essentially better than all these people who didn't see family members, who couldn't go to funerals, who battled to look after their children while severely ill. And that's why people are so mad at this situation, because it's essentially, to simplify it, one rule for the prime minister's staff and one rule for the public. And... They, you know, I know that there were pretty loud calls for his resignation. He is refusing to do so. He he put out a statement today. Isn't that correct? Exactly. And conservative members of parliament, members of the prime minister's own party, people who were elected because of Dominic Cummings' election strategy, have called for Dominic Cummings to resign. And this is a man who's prided himself on on having his finger on the nation's pulse, but he's massively misjudging people here. You know, people in the prime minister's own party recognise that for the public at large who've been unable to see family and friends or have had to go through these hard moments over the last few uh, over the last few months, it, it's really insulting to watch someone sit there and try and defend actions that the rest of us 
were told we weren't allowed to take. And, and not just that, he's not apologised. He can't mm. just say those simple two words, I'm sorry. And I think that says a lot about who Dominic Cummings is. Right. Even if it's something as simple as, you know, I, I was so worried for my family and I just broke the rules and I shouldn't have done that. And I'm sorry. Like, it, at least then it, there would have been some sort of reckoning. But, you know, we uh, I think I think your government and our government have that in common. Um, just the refusal to apologize for anything. And that's the issue here for a lot of people. No one's truly angry with him for the point about doing what was in the best interest of his family. Mm-hmm. Anyone would have done what he did to protect his children if they felt that that was completely necessary. No one's angry at him for trying to, to keep his child safe. What people are angry at is this seeming double standard, what we've been told and what the government and the staff there have been doing. And that's the really upsetting point. So if he come out and said, I'm truly sorry, I recognise that I broke these lockdown rules, but as you understand, we panic in these moments. I, I just thought I need to protect my child and this was the first thing I thought would do it. People would go, look, it was wrong. We're very angry at you. Maybe people would still call for him to resign, but people would have more of an understanding. It's that lack of humanity mm. that he can't apologise to those people. Well, they said, it's not an exaggeration. People have been denied the ability to be in the room to say goodbye to family members mm-hmm. in their last moments. And he's gone up to Durham and 260-mile round trip. He even went back into work, in fact, after interacting with his wife who had coronavirus symptoms. And it's just this seeming blasé attitude that people think is is just so arrogant, essentially. And beyond that as well, it wasn't just this trip. He went out for a drive to a castle in the local area to, as he describes it, check my eyesight was better after coronavirus. You know, it's laughable, this defence. Wow. Yeah, and and you're right. It's a slap in the face to all of those who sacrificed those kinds of things uh, for the safety of others. And when your government isn't modeling that kind of behavior, it's extremely um, frustrating. And so uh, Boris Johnson sort of justified uh, this today. Uh, I've I've heard uh, uh, some audio clips of him. Uh, basically saying what, you know, you you've just said from his own justification. Um, And so what what is Boris Johnson's what are Boris Johnson's thoughts on this? Boris Johnson has essentially come out and said, look, make up your own mind. But in my view, case closed. All of this is over. He's come out and explained himself and I accept his explanation. But it all comes back to the reliance Boris Johnson has on Dominic Cummings to have got where he is. That This isn't about whether Boris Johnson believes Dominic Cummings did the right thing. It's Boris Johnson believes he needs Dominic Cummings in order to have the position of power that he does. But there's a wider point that Boris Johnson has failed to acknowledge here which is by allowing Dominic Cummings to maintain his position as chief advisor to the prime minister. The public at large are going to say, well, if he doesn't have to adhere to these rules, when there is 
coronavirus symptoms presence and the potential to spread them, why should I, someone who's healthy, been healthy this entire time, continue to follow social distancing guidelines and comply with the restrictions? It's going to impact on that. And the prime minister is supposed to be out there setting an example. And if he says this is okay behaviour from his chief advisor, the public at large are going to ignore restrictions and that's going to spread the virus impacts the number of people out there at risk and that's something that, that's deeply deeply concerning element of it that he's just not addressing yeah and and i can understand that we have that concern here too uh in the united states we have the trump's large you know trump's large children and the right-wing media like tommy laren all encouraging people to go to church and gather and go have a memorial day party and not wear masks and everything's fine we're going back to normal uh, but they're they're tweeting these tweets of encouragement uh, on Twitter uh, while posting photos of themselves safely tucked in their mansions with no crowds anywhere. Trump did not go to after fighting for, you know, saying he was going to override governors to open houses of worship, uh, failed to go to church uh, this Memorial weekend. And he doesn't go to church anyway, but at least, you know, maybe make an appearance. But. They do, they know they don't want to go hang out in crowds without masks. They're 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 not stupid yet. They're encouraging us to do it. And we actually had an advisor to the White House, Hassett, refer to the working class today as human capital stock. And so it's it's becoming quite clear uh, what the American workers are to the powerful and rich Republicans that control the administration. It's we are we are units to make money and and it's it's getting they're saying the quiet part out loud but they, he still has that core base of support so it's just really an interesting just an interesting dynamic and it's it's sad and it's scary it just comes back to that whole one rule for them and one rule for the rest of us and it's the way that they approach these because it's all well and good when you're the president of the united states or the prime minister of the United Kingdom, you're in a very fortunate situation. You're going to have the best healthcare available and the safest situation around you and those protective measures. We saw that with uh, Donald Trump when there was cases of coronavirus in the White House. And then the next day, everyone was getting tested and they were able to instantly begin uh, contact tracing to ensure that everyone who didn't have it was protected. And that's something that's really insulting for people out there because it is a tough time for people. In America, 40 million people losing their jobs. In the UK, people losing their jobs and uh, having to take 80% uh, pay rather than their full pay uh, if they are forced onto furlough because companies aren't able to operate. People are struggling out there at the moment, uh, not just even financially as well, on that mental health aspect that's not often talked about from having to be isolated. And when they see their leaders behaving in this way, it, it is that, as you mentioned, that slap in the face that we're doing all this work to keep ourselves, our family, friends and strangers safe. And then our politicians treat us like this. And, and really, it, it's part of the issue with when you have individuals in power who have this grip on on power and control, 
where they can't just be removed or punished easily. You know, in, in the US, obviously, you have um, a, a president who can't be removed through impeachment, essentially, because of the necessary requirements within both houses of uh, Congress, uh, the House and the Senate in order to, to get that through. In the UK, we have a, a large parliamentary majority for our prime minister at the moment, which means he's essentially immune to any punishment. He'll get everything through that he wants to get through. And there's a real problem there because there's no repercussion for these individuals. And I think that's what people are looking at. And that's partly why people are so mad at this, both here and over in the U.S. Yes, that is something to note. Parliamentary forms of government aren't always the answer when you can still buy a majority and insulate the leader. Um, I think money out of politics is still the answer to that. But that's a discussion for another time. Uh, tell everybody where, uh, Edward, they can find you and your podcast. Yes. So uh, the Hardy Report podcast is available on Anchor, Spotify, uh, Apple Podcasts or iTunes um, Anywhere you get your podcast, if it's not where you get your podcast, let me know on Twitter at Edward T. Hardy and I'll make sure I get up there. The Hardy Report is a political news and current affairs podcast. It brings you interviews with a range of activist campaigners, politicians from across the political spectrum in the US and the UK. It's currently going out twice a week on a Wednesday and a Sunday. So if you're at home and thinking I've watched everything on Netflix or Amazon Prime, Go have a listen to this show. It will really take you beyond the headlines, speak to those individuals behind the stories that are shaping 2020 in America, the British political landscape over here, and really fill you in on those details. So I, I highly recommend uh, the Harder Report podcast uh, and get in touch with me at Edward T. Hardy on Twitter and, and uh, let me know what you think and, and who you'd like on the show as well. Always happy to have uh, guest suggestions. All right. Awesome. US-UK commentator, host of the Hardy Report podcast, Edward Hardy. Thank you for joining me again today. Thank you for having me on. All right, everybody, stick around because on the other side of this break, it is time for the good news and, of course, quarantine confessions with Amanda Reeder. So stay with us. Hey, everybody. This portion of Daily Beans is brought to you by Ancestry DNA. There are many ways to finding your family story. Uh, whichever way you choose, tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA is the best way. It's easy to get started with Ancestry. And Ancestry DNA tells you where your ancestors are from. Uh, and Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories, too. Ancestry DNA can reveal ethnic origins and provide historical details that bring unique family stories to life. And we are a nation of immigrants. It's important to know where we've come from. And Ancestry DNA doesn't just tell you which countries you're from. They can pinpoint specific regions within them. That gives you an insightful geographic detail about your history that you didn't have before. You can trace the paths of your recent ancestors and learn how and why your family moved from place to place around the world. No other DNA tests deliver such a unique interactive experience. You could find a famous relative or uh, some military records. I found my grandpa's military records when I was looking in there. But whatever you find, it's sure to change the whole way you look at your family history and yourself. And after all, the story of your family is the story of you. Uh, when I got my results back, I found I was related to Harry Reeser, a comedy musician band leader who played the banjo in the 20s. And that's amazing to me. Apparently, comedy and performing is in my blood. Uh, but it's easy to start making discoveries with Ancestry. So grab the Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial to amplify your discoveries with Ancestry's billions of records. 
Start exploring your family story today. Head to my URL at Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. That's Ancestry.com slash Daily Beans. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is time for the good news. Well, we'll float on good news is on the way. And joining me today for the good news segment is Amanda Reader and Marley Moo. How are you two? We are doing well. He is being quiet. It's a good day. <laughs> oh, excellent. Uh, I had, because behind my house here, there's a, a, a garage, like a, a mechanic, like a residential mm-hmm. garage that a guy rents and he he's in there tooling around on his cars all day. He's got some really nice old cars, but they're very loud. And so I actually was waiting and waiting and I had to walk out and, and you know, put my mask on. And I'm like, hey, because he's just revving engines, you know, trying to get him tuned. And I'm like, I am a recording studio. And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. Very, very kind. And so <laughs> that was that was my interaction for the afternoon. Well, at least he was kind about it. Yeah, he was very kind. Everyone's been being very kind. Um, I was at the store earlier, though, because I had to get my food for the week. And nobody was following the one-way signs. Everybody was just sort of doing their own thing. It was, But everyone was wearing masks, at least. But it was pretty disappointing. Um Yeah, I agree. I went out earlier. I really wanted some fresh air and to get some gelato. And so I was like, I haven't really been doing a lot of like any sort of in-store or in, you know, or dining of any kind where I have to go into an establishment. I've only been doing like, you know, curbside pickup or delivery. And I was like, I'm going to venture into this ice cream shop. And it was so fucking disappointing to see not only just like groups of people sitting outside not wearing masks. I was like, oh, okay. I let that go. I walked inside and then the cashier, her friends walked into the store and she ran out from behind the counter and hugged them. Oh my gosh. What's that like? I haven't, I haven't had human contact. (laughs) Uh, I have not had human contact in months. Yeah. It's really hard because, you know, I, you know, everyone's fault. Everyone makes little amendments for their mental health here and there, but I, I feel like what I don't know doesn't hurt me. And at the very least, I expect people to be considerate in public, you know, or at least try to be. And um, yeah. it was really disappointing to see. I was like, you have no idea around you who is like immunocompromised, who's seeing you just like blatantly breaking it. Um, and not only did she hug them, but then she invited them to come to the back of the store for like a tour and was like, you know, not maintaining six feet at all. Okay. So. Anyway. Here, come breathe on this. Breathe on this gelato. I know. It'd be great. I know. So, so some people think it's over. <laughs> I did meet, I have a bit of good news, this really rad uh, girl. She is, or a lady, woman. She was a little bit taller than me, like maybe maybe 5'11". And she was wearing a, a yoga tank top and mm-hmm. yoga pants. And, and she had a sleeve of ink. And she had her hair up in a, you know, a spa- one space bun. I guess that's not a space bun. But you know what, you know what I mean mm-hmm. when it's held like it's just a bun, not a ponytail. <laughs> yeah. And... And uh, we both have like uh, like homemade, really cute masks on. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I love your ink. And she's like, yours is great too. And I'm like, where'd you get yours? And she's like, where'd you get yours? And she's like, yeah, it's fucking great. And I'm like, fuck yeah. And like did an air high five. And then, you know, I left with my eggs. But it was a nice, you know, I think we both really needed to have a human conversation mm-hmm. with a stranger. So it was it was really great. That's my good news for the day. Good. 
It definitely has reduced a lot of that that you usually get in San Diego. People talk to each other here a lot. People are really friendly in public settings. And I feel like the anxiety of the pandemic has reduced a lot of the like natural friendly energy that you find around. So that's so nice to hear. Yeah, it, it was it was really nice. I, and then I was like, should I give her my number? And I'm like, no, just go home. Um, <laughs> you have like a friend crush. You're like, oh, human contact. <laughs> Let's be best friends. I know. It's like. It's like uh, I love you, man. Where you know he's looking for a, a mandate. Uh, no, no dinners. Just, just you know, lunch or cocktails. I'm like, ah, just, just go home. <laughs> uh, but sh- she was super friendly. So that's that is my little bit of good news. What, uh, what have our listeners sent in today for the good news? Yes, uh, the first one for the good news segment is from Alan. Alan says, in honor of Mahler, she wrote, "Winding down, I would like to share a positive experience I had a few weeks ago." A friend of mine struck up a digital conversation with me about an article claiming that Mueller's findings exonerated Trump. He shared the article uh, with me, which asserted that the media blew Trump's wrongdoing way out of proportion and that it was essentially this generation's WMDs. Um, I did my best to refute the arguments. Um, When he told me to read one of the articles, I declined and said I was actually already familiar with the report. I explained that I'd listened to a podcast that ripped apart the Mueller report, going through it line by line, along with analysis. My friend shot back by asking, yes, but who funds this podcast? Trying to imply that the podcast may have been biased. I proudly responded, I did, and explained that MSW is independent and patron-supported. Ultimately, the conversation ended peacefully with my friend thanking me uh, for taking the time to discuss this with him. I didn't necessarily change his mind, but I can honestly say that I felt extremely prepared to have this conversation because of all the amazing work you ladies have done to educate me. So thank you. Yes, mission accomplished. Mm -hmm. Mission accomplished. Everybody, mission accomplished um, <laughs> to bring back WMDs. Uh, but yeah, wow, actually, that was a different time. But that that's just so great to hear. I really, really, I love that. I love hearing, you know, that we can spin the news in such a way people can fall asleep to it. Mm-hmm. I love hearing that um, people are prepared for arguments. I really feel like the bot net uh, interview we had yesterday was like really meant for that mm-hmm. for and that was on the Mueller she wrote podcast that's just like that's my dream come true that's like what we worked for so that's so great I'm so glad you got to use that I know I loved that yay I had an interaction uh, Amanda on Twitter where I you know somebody had said something about Jeff Sessions lying under oath and should we look into it you know after the election mm-hmm. and I was like it's you know it's already been pretty thoroughly looked into it was investigated uh, Mueller Mueller exonerated him and I got somebody coming back saying Mueller didn't exonerate shit and you know you need to show that to me where can you send me the link where in the report does it say and I just immediately wrote back and said volume 1 page 198 paragraph 3 <laughs> And then I actually replied to my own tweet about two minutes later and said, actually might be paragraph four. I took an edible. And I think I I think I really um, freaked that lady out. But uh, I never heard back. So (laughs) don't fuck with us. We're a community full of Hermione's. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I said I'm Slytherin. I wish I was I wish I was Gryffindor or Ravenclaw, but. It's okay, AG. I'm a Slytherin too. It's my greatest shame, but I can't. I, I can't deny I who I really am. <laughs> no, you can't. You can't. Right? Like I'm Aquarius, but I'm also part Capricorn. I wish I wasn't, but there it is. <laughs> there it is. Um. Ugh. Uh. All right. This is from Mo. Uh, I love this one. Mo says. 
Florida voters passed Amendment 4 that restored voting rights of felons who served all of their time. The government here tried to fight it, instituting a clause that stated felons must pay all their fines. I remember hearing about that. They were like, yeah, you can vote again, but you have to pay all these ridiculous fines that we just made up that'll prevent you from doing it. Um... Uh, fines, fees, and whatever else before they could be registered. But a federal judge ruled on May 24th that the idea of a payment is a poll tax and unconstitutional and ordered the state to stop being a racist, hateful entity. (laughs) Well, I I reported on this a little bit earlier in the show. Mm -hmm. The judge said it wasn't uh, because of racial bias, but it did violate, um, (laughs) I believe, the 24th Amendment. And that could free up 1.5 million additional voters. Mm -hmm. And uh, also to clarify, because I know a lot of people were concerned about these this uh, particular part of it, but the Fourth Amendment also, this wasn't uh, granted to murderers and uh, domestic violence and rapists. Mm-hmm. So this, this, it was not for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, nonviolent crimes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's, that's great to hear. Um, I'd be curious to, to learn more about that because I, I'm... Florida is a swing state, and I, I imagine that a million voters could make a difference. Yeah, Trump's not happy, and I'm sure they'll continue to fight it. Oh, for sure. Um, and along those same lines, who who was it that sent in that good news? Mo. Mo, yeah. Yeah, we, we talked a little bit earlier in the show, too. South Carolina, a judge struck down a, a requirement that if you were going to vote absentee, you had to have a witness watch you vote and sign. That's just the dumbest thing. But they don't have to do that now. So That's really yeah. good. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm loving seeing all these states just be like, fuck you, we're going to allow more people to vote and vote easier, okay? <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It's good shit. This next one is from Anonymous, and Anonymous says, I am graduating with honors with my master's in paralegal studies from George Washington University. Uh, they sent this one actually in, I think, like last week, so this um, – It happened already, so congratulations. I never thought I would make it this far. It's been a long two years of hard work, so this is so satisfying for me. I struggle with mental health issues, so to follow through and finish this degree is huge for me. Thanks for all you do. I really enjoy listening to you guys. Keep it up. Keep asking all the questions. Oh, that speaks to me so hard with my my, uh, disability, uh, mental health disability and, and, and graduating. So congratulations. That is just so... Uh, and what a great feeling, too. Not just that you accomplish something, but that you don't have to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're like, I'm done now. Yeah. It's a lot of work. And when I finished that goddamn dissertation, it was like a black <laughs> cloud was lifted out of my life forever. And, and that was just worth everything to me. Uh like someone had removed a parasite from your body. You're like, ugh, release me from yeah, this. Yeah, or like you pull you pull a, a dog hair out of your eye and it keeps coming and it's like 10 feet long, you know? And then, <laughs> ah, it's just that, ah. Oh. Uh, congratulations to you, uh, uh, sir or madam or wh- however you ad- identify. Um, I'm sure that your family is super proud of you. And if they're not, I'm proud of you. Um, okay, this is from mm-hmm. Sarah. Sarah says, this is the last bit of good news. Uh, Sarah says, okay, so this is good news with a guilty pleasure twist and also a borderline confession. (laughs) Oh, well, this will be good then to segue into our next segment. Exactly. Uh, Sarah says, in January, I completely tore my ACL in a ski accident. Ow. Uh, The knee was so unstable. I couldn't ski out of the very steep and technical area and had to get a toboggan ride down the hill. Um, uh, Thank the universe I wasn't in backcountry. I'm normally extremely active. I'm a skier, mountaineer, rock climber, downhill mountain biker, kayaks, you get the picture. 
And unfortunately, in this case, uh, I use physical activity as my antidepressant and my anti-anxiety. I've since had reconstructive surgery, but it's expected to be nine months before I'm back to what I consider a regular amount of activity for me. I've been so worried Mm -hmm. that I'll spiral out of control without my outlets, but Here's the good news. So far, I've been able to stave off anything more than just brief flares of depression by working my ass off in physical therapy, local exploration, and kayaking, which is still on the menu. Uh, my personal trainer is increasingly frustrated that he can't advance my exercise quicker due to post-surgical protocols. <laughs> uh, but but also due to Washington State with still having stay-at-home orders, no one has been really getting out much, so the potential for FOMO is greatly decreased. It's not that I want everyone to be miserable or anything, but I have to admit that it, that it has been helpful not to have to sit back and watch people do the amazing things that I used to be able to do and not participate. I guess I really couldn't have picked a better year for an injury. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, true, right? I mean, yeah. you know. <laughs> um, and then she says, uh, thank you so much for, thank you three for the MSW and the beans for keeping it real, informative, and fucking hilarious. You're part of my home exercise routine nightly, you people rock. You know what? Good on oh. you for admitting that. She's like, fuck it. I picked the best year to get an injury. Y'all are stuck at home too. Yeah, or, you know, I can't go out and do what I normally do anyway, so hell yeah. Yeah. I felt the same way when we first locked down in March. And it was just, it rained for like three weeks. Remember San mm-hmm. Diego? We're like, what the fuck? Well, this isn't, what are we in Seattle? Um, <laughs> no offense to our last good news uh, deliverer. But, uh, <laughs> you know, it, it, it was, we were just like, oh, well, can't go anywhere anyway. Womp, womp. Yep. So at least, you know, mm-hmm. it's, you know, you look for these fortuitous, beneficial silver linings. There's absolutely nothing wrong with that. I don't think it's, no. I don't think you should feel guilty about it at all. No. It just is. And you know what? You're right. You couldn't have picked a better year. So, (laughs) Um, and with that, we'll go into quarantine confessions. Quarantine confessions won't be too long today. I just got a couple rapid fire ones for you today. Uh, Confession time. I'm one of the lucky ones in Las Vegas who still has a job and is able to work from home. I know it's been like really hard hit in Las Vegas for obvious reasons. Um, However, my work has slowed to almost nothing. So I spend my day reading a book in front of the computer while waiting for the random email to, while waiting for a random email to come through, then going for a bike ride. I haven't kept track of how many books I've read in the last few months, but it is a lot. I have, however, been keeping track of the miles on my bike and I hit 200 this week. Thank you, ladies, for being, (laughs) (laughs) thank you, ladies, for being utterly fabulous and helping us all laugh through these tough times. (laughs) Nice. Awesome. Good job. 200 miles. Damn. I know, right? That's two centuries. I know. Uh, From Aaron, my quarantine confession, I just apologized to a baby woodpecker for gender assuming because I called called it he while sweet talking to said baby bird, and I think maybe I need to get out more. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you're a he or a she, but I just called you a he, and I'm so sorry for that. Uh. (laughs) I I do that with my cats all the time. I'd be like, you look at the long boy, or you know, whatever you. I don't know if you can't you can't talk to me. So it's so funny. My dog um, has a pink harness, and it's not really a statement, but I also don't care. You know, like he's a boy dog. He has a pink harness. It was the one that was there that fits him. But sometimes when I take him for walks, people will be like, "Oh, what a cute little girl she is," and I'm like, "Oh, he's a boy, actually." People are like, "Oh, <laughs> I didn't do it to make a statement." <laughs> okay. <laughs> He looks fabulous in pink, A. 
be, but to be fair, that's normally how we, you know, yeah. label no, our absolutely. infants and pets is with pink and blue. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But I am, for frankly, for one, glad that we're getting away from that shit. Uh, so. Well, it's funny because no one ever has a neutral reaction to it. I feel like people are either like, oh, or they think I am making a statement and they're supportive of it. So they like give me a nod. Oh. Yeah. yeah. They're All like, right, they're yeah. like, nice, mm-hmm. nice. Good for you. I'm like, it's nice. not a statement, everyone. Nice. <laughs> uh, it was just the last harness <laughs> i know it's like people think it's the most political thing that my dog is in a pink harness but i promise you it's not get him a little leather daddy harness and <laughs> see how people react <laughs> a little studded harness oh, yeah with the, with the metal rings you know and the, yes mm-hmm. absolutely that he, but you know what that wouldn't be a surprise in hillcrest you could see you, you could imagine a small dog being walked around by some gay in hillcrest with a le- with a leather daddy harness as a joke oh, yeah or as real life yeah or, or not as a joke. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, a couple more here. They're really short. This is from Jean. She says, my quarantine hair is getting so long it covers my ears now, and my husband can no longer see my ear pods. I can listen to my podcasts, mostly yours, of course, while he talks on and on, and I just throw in an uh-huh once in a while, and he doesn't really seem to know the difference. <laughs> Oh, sounds that's like beautiful your marriage is going uh-huh. great gene <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and no hey that's what keeps it that's what keeps it going yep is you know mm-hmm. yeah uh-huh. <laughs> the ability I to zone it. out sometimes yes <laughs> yeah zone out i mean look i mean you know generally when you know when we're coupled up with your so uh or your partner and you know normally somebody's out of the house at some point during the day or somebody works from home somebody works out mm-hmm. of the house or vice versa uh, it, and so it's, it's, it takes a lot of adjustment to both be around each other all day, totally. I would imagine. And so, I mean, I'm having a hard time adjusting just with a dog. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, I can't imagine. So I think that that's fantastic that your hair is covering your AirPods. People are doing what they need to do to take a little bit of time for themselves, which is exactly what the next confession is about. <laughs> all right. Awesome. Uh, from Justice Fiend. Justice Fiend says, when I'm in my home office, I sometimes close the door, turn on your show, and let my family think I'm in a Zoom meeting so they don't come in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, wait. All right. You ready? Um, who, who, who sent that, by the way? Who sent uh, that? At Justice Fiend on Twitter. Justice. Oh, okay. So Call we don't them know out. their name. Tell their, tell their wife or husband or partner. <laughs> No, I was just going to start doing some Zoom type statements that that he that he or she could play. Oh yes, yes. Um, uh, how are the quarterly reports looking this year? <laughs> don't laugh. You can't laugh. Oh, I'm sorry. Character. Right. I broke. I broke character. I broke character. Okay, was that a Zoom type thing to say? You go. You say something uh, cor- corporate. I mean, if you run the revenue, assuming an eight percent. Uh, then, I mean, obviously the numbers are going to come out this way. And so, you know, if you look at the chart that I'm showing you here on the screen, uh, next slide, please. Yeah, yeah. So if you look at the chart here, uh, you can clearly see when you run it at a 10%, uh, then this is where we want to be. And that is going to be important for Q3, uh, clearly, because, I mean, you know, obviously because of the impact of coronavirus, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know, we have to make sure that we are synergizing in such a way uh, that, you know, we can come together at this point uh, on the graph and, and to, you know, to make sure Absolutely. that we have the correct numbers at the end of end of Q3. Q3 is going to be critical. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. We should all, right. all agree on some KPIs going forward. <laughs> Do you know what I was just thinking? 
<laughs> I was just thinking if someone really was trying to bullshit their way through like an afternoon of faking Zoom meetings, this could be a really valuable resource for people. Like someone walks in on them and they're just like, oh, hey, and they just click play on a soundtrack of us pretending to give presentations, but really they're just slacking off the rest of the day. Um, Moving on. <laughs> Yeah, no, maybe we should record a couple of, uh, for patrons, we can record a couple of audio clips of just fake Zoom chatter. <laughs> let us know if you'd be up for that. If, would that help you out? Would that help Would that help you hide from your family? Let us know on Twitter. <laughs> yeah, totally. I'll make some fake Zoom chat. I know a lot of buzzwords, uh, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? Use your, use your knowledge of buzzwords for the, for the benefit of the greater good. I can analyze synergies and synergize analogies. Um, I can do it all day. Um, yeah, people are starting to lose their mind in quarantine. Uh, and the next confession is proof to that. This is from Jay and Rosie. Jay says, uh, my wife and I have truly lost our collective minds. Same. While playing with our dogs, we have four. They started quietly woofing at us. And in return, we started howling. <laughs> this went on for a good five to ten minutes and ended in laughter. It was a great release for us. However... The dogs think we are insane and did not join us in howling. <laughs> Maybe you were saying really, really rude things and you just didn't know it. <laughs> we are just glad our neighbors can't hear us. Thanks for all you do. We look forward to the weekly happy hour. <laughs> That's brilliant. And next time you're in an argument, uh, you you should just start howling. Yeah, right. Everyone's going to come out of quarantine yeah. like feral, like those, you know, those <laughs> Those kids that grew up with wolves and stuff. Do you ever watch documentaries on, like, when I was younger, I had a weird obsession with, like, feral children. I watched a bunch of weird documentaries on kids who, like, grew up in the woods with no humans. Um, but no. That, maybe that's a conversation for another day over drinks. <laughs> perhaps. Perhaps. Uh, you know what I mean. You know what I mean. Those, like, weird-ass documentaries you that mean. you find in, like, the depths of Amazon Prime. I know what you mean. Yeah. I, I don't even know how you get to... I don't know how you are capable of scrolling that far. I just lose it and start watching Parks and Rec again. I'm like, <laughs> I can't with this. Um, We have one more. It's very short. And this is this is a this is a goodie. This is from Gina. Last one. Uh, confession. This morning, I tried to pull up the sleeve on my jacket and accidentally punched myself in the face hard. <laughs> but it's okay because I've had it coming for some time now. <laughs> Who said that? Gina. Gina. Oh my gosh, Gina. <laughs> I can picture it now. Funk. I had it coming. Uh, oh. Wow, that's brilliant. Mm-hmm. I, it reminds me of when I had fall. You know, I, I sleep on my side and I put, have my arm up under my pillow, and sometimes my arm falls asleep. And I tried to roll over, and I had to pick my arm up to roll over, and I dropped it on my face on the way over, and it's heavy. <laughs> oh <laughs> so. God, I hate the feeling of your like limbs falling asleep. It's really freaky. Yeah, it's no bueno. Well, everybody, thank you so much for your quarantine confessions mm-hmm. and your good news stories. Mandy, where can they send them? You can send them to us at our submission form, and you can find that on our pinned tweet at Daily Beans Pod and at mollyshirt.com slash contact. If you can't find us, uh, find it, let us know. Uh, you send us an email, and we will give you the link. But those are the places you can find it, and you can submit anonymously. So you don't have to share your name with the world if you do not want to. Yep. Send them in. We're starting a show. Uh, and we might even invite you to come and read your confession on the show. Mm-hmm. So we would love for that to happen. Um, and that also, MullerSheWrote.com, but that's, what is it, DailyBeansPod.com as well? DailyBeansPod.com. Um, and then uh, uh, under contact, you will see our submission form. 
Wonderful. All right, everybody, thank you very much. Any final thoughts before we get out of here? No, none from you. Just take care of yourselves, everybody. Wash your hands. Yes. Um, And as I always say, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been AG. I've been Mandy Reedy. And them's the beanies. The Daily Beans is executive produced and directed by AG and Jordan Coburn and engineered and edited by Mackenzie Mazell and Starburns Industries. Our marketing manager, executive assistant, production and social media direction is Amanda Reeder. Fact-checking and research by AG, Jordan Coburn, and Amanda Reeder. Our music is written and performed by They Might Be Giants. Our web design and branding are by Joel Reeder with Moxie Design Studios. And our website is dailybeanspod.com.